From the ACLU, this is At Liberty. I'm Molly Kaplan, Multimedia Director at the ACLU and your host for this special episode. The Supreme Court term just came to a dramatic close. We saw wins for LGBTQ plus rights, DACA recipients, abortion rights, Native American tribal authority, and a vindication that executive privilege is not absolute. But it wasn't all good news. The court issued a blistering rebuke on the rights of asylum seekers to have their day in court. We are here with ACLU legal director and experienced Supreme Court litigator David Cole. He will help us make sense of the term's wins and losses and preview what's to come in the fall. David, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So first out of the gate, can you recap the cases we were watching closely and tell us how they were decided? So uh, you sort of did it in the in the intro, but, um, you know, it is kind of remarkable. We began this term with a very, very conservative court with um, facing decisions on abortion, LGBT rights, uh, immigration, Trump's tax records. And I think many people feared that we would see at the end of the term a series of five to four decisions in which the Republicans stuck together and the Democrats stuck together and the liberal side lost every one of those controversial issues. And in fact, when we look back, the liberal side won most of the controversial issues with one or more conservative justices parting company from his conservative colleagues and joining with the liberals. Gorsuch and Roberts did that on LGBT rights. Roberts did it in the abortion case and in the DACA case. Gorsuch did it on Native American land rights. Uh, and, And then in the Trump cases, Trump lost, at least with respect to the grand jury subpoena case, seven to two with the four liberals, Chief Justice Roberts, and Trump's two picks, Gorsuch and Kavanaugh, ruling against Trump. Let's look at the wins a little more closely. Some have expressed reserve in claiming full victory. For example, on the DACA case, it was on procedural grounds. With abortions, some people say that Roberts laid out loopholes for states to use admitting privileges in the future. Can you contextualize some of the wins and sort of help us understand how big of a win they were? Sure. I mean, I think The first thing to say is it's remarkable that we won as many as we did. And yes, not all of them are complete victories, but, you know, that's caviling, right? I mean, at the end of the day, what's important is that, you know, we didn't lose these very big cases that I think most people expected we would. The LGBT rights case was a total and absolute victory. The court held that a federal law that prohibits sex discrimination, by definition, also prohibits sexual orientation and gender identity discrimination because they are necessarily forms of sex discrimination. That is a total victory. It applies not only to federal employment law, but to federal housing law, to federal uh, education law, to uh, all the state's public accommodation laws. Any law that prohibits sex discrimination now also prohibits discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity. So abortion, not such a big win by any means. The, The court essentially reaffirmed what it had decided four years earlier, which is that you can't require doctors who perform abortions to get admitting privileges at a nearby hospital because they don't need them. And just to clarify, that was the case in Texas four years ago. Four years ago in Texas, struck down five to four with Justice Kennedy writing the opinion. This time around, 
Louisiana, virtually identical law, struck down five to four. Justice Roberts joins the opinion. But what's significant is that Justice Roberts was a dissenter four years ago in the Texas case. And he chose to be bound by precedent and to go against his own particular view of what the Constitution requires in that case. However, he wrote a separate opinion, which kind of watered down in a significant way the test that that had been put forth in the Whole Woman's Health uh, Texas decision four years earlier. So it's a win. Anything that holds on to abortion rights is a win, but it suggests that, you know, it's going to be tough going ahead. And Um, what do you think it means for Roe v. Wade going forward? Is Roe v. Wade safe or do we still have to be on our toes? So Justice Roberts made very clear that the parties had not asked the court to reconsider Roe in this case, as did all of the other conservative justices who wrote separately. You know, I think at the end of the day, when the court does have that case before it, hard to predict, but at the end of the day, it's going to be the same question for Chief Justice Roberts. Do you go with stare decisis, with holding fast to what has already been decided, which is what he did in this case, or do you go with what you would do if you were deciding this in the first instance yourself? And he decided not to go with that. And I think on Roe versus Wade, there's an even stronger argument that you should stick to precedent because it's a 50-year-old precedent. It's already been reaffirmed once by the Supreme Court. So I don't think it's going to be overturned um, if it comes to that. But there's a real risk uh, that it will continually be chipped away at in less obvious ways. And, And his concurrence in this case suggests that that's a real risk. So let's turn to DACA. How do we interpret that win? So I think the DACA decision is probably the most consequential win for real people today in the United States in the entire term. Because what it means is that 700,000 people who have been granted this protection by uh, the Obama administration have now not lost it. President Trump sought to take it away and the Supreme Court said, no, uh, you can't take it away. You took it away in a in an improper fashion. Now, they did it on a procedural ground. It was only a challenged on procedural grounds. And that means that he can, President Trump can, seek once again to rescind DACA. But I think it's very unlikely that he'll succeed because whatever he does will be challenged in court. It'll be stuck in the courts at least until January of 2021. And then if President Trump is no longer president, you could be sure that Joe Biden is going to put back in place what uh, President Obama put in place. And of course, it wasn't a blanket win for immigrants' rights. There was a blistering blow for asylum seekers and their claim to have a day in court. Can you explain that a little bit? Sure. Yeah, this was a case that we argued, the Thrasingan case. It involved whether the Constitution requires um, immigrants who are facing deportation whether they have a right to go to court to challenge the legality of that decision. And for years, the courts had held, yes, um, there's a constitutional right to go to court to challenge the legality of one's deportation. And in this case, the court five to four ruled otherwise. Uh, Justice Alito wrote the opinion and he said, no, that constitutional right does not apply at least to foreign nationals who have been apprehended shortly after they entered the country um, illegally by crossing the border. They can be deported with summary proceedings 
in, in the administrative process and with no judicial review whatsoever. This decision creates a real risk that the government can act lawlessly and immigrants will not have the ability to go to court to challenge that lawless action in their individual cases. And that's a real, real risk, I think. But again, what will determine, you know, the ultimate outcome of that battle is likely to be November 3rd, not uh, Supreme Court decisions. The name that seems to be most popular right now in talking about the Supreme Court term is Justice Roberts. And you alluded a little bit to the surprising nature of some of the decisions and how he voted. Were you surprised by his decisions on some of this? So it used to be that Justice Kennedy was the likely swing vote on the court. And Justice Roberts was a very consistent, conservative vote. Right. And just to review, Justice Kennedy retired last term after having established a legacy in helping to expand LGBTQ rights, despite being a Reagan-appointed, fairly conservative justice in other ways. Right. I think what has happened is Chief Justice Roberts has become the swing, but he's not the only swing. Uh, Justice Gorsuch, after all, wrote the LGBTQ decision. Gorsuch wrote the decision today on the last day of the term recognizing uh, about half of Oklahoma as still being Indian land uh, because it was granted to a Native American tribe back in the day, and he held the government to its promise. And so there are um, a number of options. I think Justice Kavanaugh might be a swing vote on some instances as well. The bottom line is that if you care about civil rights, if you care about civil liberties, you can count on four pretty reliable votes on the Supreme Court, but you need five. So you have to appeal to one of the conservative justices in order to win your case. And I think what's what's significant about this term is that in those cases where we won, we appealed to basic conservative arguments. The argument in the LGBTQ case was a textualist argument that this is what the language of the statute requires, even if Congress didn't contemplate it when it passed it in 1964. That's a conservative argument. Justice Gorsuch bought it. And the DACA decision is a decision that says when the government takes action, it at least has to give reasons for its action. It can't be arbitrary. And what Chief Justice Roberts held was that the Trump administration was simply arbitrary in its revocation of the DACA program. It did not give reasons. It did not address the tremendously harmful impact that this would have on 700,000 people. And so those are basic conservative ideas. So if we're going to win in the courts, we need to appeal to conservative ideals. But we also need to appeal to the ideal that a court has to decide cases on the law and not on partisan loyalty. That is absolutely critical because if the court decided issues on partisan loyalty grounds, we know how it would come out. Five to four in every significant case and we would be on the losing side of every one. It is the ideal behind judging, which is that you are not just a partisan hack. And I think what this term shows is that the court is sensitive to that and that works to the advantages of civil rights and civil liberties claims. Also, as it applies to restrictions on executive privilege, we can't ignore today's decision around Trump's taxes. Could you explain that decision? Absolutely. So there were two decisions. Um, 
One involved a grand jury's subpoena for Trump's tax records in connection with a criminal investigation of Trump and others in New York City. And the other involved a series of subpoenas issued by committees in the House of Representatives for the same records in connection with various congressional investigations that were going on. And in both cases, Trump sought to block the subpoenas and said, I'm the president, you can't get these records. Even though every other human being in the United States is required to comply with the subpoena that is served on you for your records, and in the grand jury case, the Supreme Court rejected that seven to two with, uh, as I said earlier, with Justice Gorsuch and Justice Kavanaugh, both appointed by Trump, ruling against the president. Again, appealing to that notion that, you know, you're not a Trump judge, you're not an Obama judge, and especially in a case like this, which involved the president claiming that he's above the law. And essentially what the court said was, no, you are subject to the law in the same way that all other citizens are subject to the law. I think that's a very important victory for the rule of law, for checks and balances, and for our democracy. And why didn't that same framework apply to the House case, the case where committees in the House had requested some of the same records? So in that case, the court again decided seven to two, but in a more a more compromised way. I mean, essentially what they said was they rejected President Trump's argument that you couldn't get these records, Congress couldn't get these records at all. It rejected Congress's argument, which was there are no limits on our ability to get the president's records. Uh, and, it, and, it, and it sent the case back and said, no, Congress does have the legitimate authority to get the president's records, but the court should consider separation of powers concerns in assessing whether the committee actually needs the records, whether it has a legitimate purpose for the records, whether the request is sufficiently narrow and tailored. So it it sent it back for that kind of adjudication, but it rejected, again, the sort of broad-based position the president took, which is Congress can't get this stuff at all. And David, we all get a month and change off, and then the Supreme Court will resume. What is our sense of the highlights uh, in terms of civil rights and civil liberties cases for the upcoming term? Well, I think one of the biggest cases on the term's docket is, again, the constitutionality of the Affordable Care Act. Um, That has been challenged yet again on a fairly technical argument, but the Supreme Court has taken that up. And that's obviously a huge case because health care is such a critical right for all of us and need for all of us, and especially for those who are disabled. And if the Affordable Care Act went out the window, the disabled community would be greatly burdened because of the pre-existing rule, which is that Insurance companies could deny you coverage if you had any pre-existing condition. And that Obamacare took out. If the court strikes down Obamacare, that rule could come back in. There's a second very important case involves the conflict between equality claims and religious liberty claims that we have seen time and again in the Supreme Court in recent years. And this involves the city of Philadelphia, which ended a contract with Catholic Social Services for certifying families to be foster care parents when it found out that Catholic Social Services would not certify a family that that was a same-sex married couple because they don't believe in same-sex 
marriage. And the Catholic social services has sued, saying that this violates their religious freedom. The Catholic social services says, we have a free exercise right to discriminate and to get money from the government to do our discriminatory work. An extraordinary argument. And we are in the case defending Philadelphia's prerogative to require non-discrimination in its government programs. And we won in the district court and won unanimously in the Court of Appeals. But the Supreme Court agreed to review the case, which is not a good sign. Trump has had, or the Trump administration has had a lot of success appointing federal court judges. I think 197 as of June 3rd. Does that have any bearing on what gets levied up to the Supreme Court? Well, probably not too much. I mean, because the court will take up matters when either when it there's an important decision that it thinks might be wrong or where the lower courts are in disagreement. And the only way that the federal law can be uniformly adjudicated is by the Supreme Court taking up the matter. The fact that the lower courts are more conservative means that the lower courts would presumably reach more conservative results, which would require the Supreme Court to intervene less often than it ordinarily does. But there are so many lower court judges that, um, you know, it just doesn't, it doesn't end up working out that way. Uh, if Trump were to be reelected and he were able to appoint another 200 judges, the situation we, would be absolutely dire right now. But if Biden gets elected and is able to appoint 200 Judges, it'll offset in a significant way the the bias that uh, that Trump has introduced. So again, the future of our civil rights and civil liberties is going to be determined not by the Supreme Court, not by those judges, but by the voters on November 3rd. If people vote like their rights depend on it and vote in favor of candidates who believe in civil rights and civil liberties, uh, then we'll be in a pretty good shape. If they don't, if they stay home, if they uh, check out, if they don't use the rights that they uh, have, uh, then there's a real risk that we have you know, four more years of a president that is absolutely a threat to civil rights and civil liberties and a Senate that will do his bidding with respect to the appointment of judges. Uh, and that would be truly disastrous. Well, that sounds like a remarkably optimistic and also good note to end on. Get out the vote, of course, safely during a pandemic. It's still a pandemic, but this was so great. Thank you so much, David, for joining us. This was really helpful. Thank you so much. Great to talk to you. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed the conversation, please subscribe to At Liberty wherever you get your podcasts and rate and review the show. We so appreciate the feedback. Until next week, stay strong. <laughs>